In this episode, we focus on Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from Scripture will inspire and encourage you. In this season, Tim Dunn and Joey Willis walk through the book of Ecclesiastes, verse by verse, discussing what is being revealed about the nature of God, our world, and our most adequate response to it. Grab your Bible, some note-taking supplies, and pull up the BibleSays.com commentary on Ecclesiastes as we take a deep dive into the deep truths of Ecclesiastes. Rich with humility and hope, uncertainty and purpose, mystery and faith, this book is sure to challenge your perspective on what it means to live life well. So we're going to dive into Ecclesiastes 5 now. Tim, can you give us a brief overview of what the chapter is about? Well, there's a lot in here. But basically, what we're talking about now is kind of our worldview and how we look at things, our perspective, and how to be wise rather than foolish, and then specifically with respect to how we view God. So, And there's a lot to unpack here. Okay, let's get to it. One through three, guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools for they do not know they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God, for God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. So, Joey, there's a lot here. Um, It starts with guard your steps as you go to the house of God. So guard your steps. That's a Yeah, pay really close attention to the attitude you have when you approach God. Mm -hmm. And we don't usually, we don't, in our society, we don't usually think of that. Like, I really need to pay attention to how I approach God. But that's what we're being admonished to do here. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked before about this being kind of a companion book to Proverbs. And Proverbs is about being intentional about the path you choose. Watch your steps. Make sure that you don't drift to a different path. So I think there's maybe an element of that in there. But also in that, in, it, in this part of it, when it says, guard your steps to go to the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. If you're guarding your steps, what image probably comes to your mind of like kind of slowly mm-hmm. creeping up so that you don't make very much noise, so that you're not overly noticed, so that you can hear you can listen mm. to what's going on. And so I think that's part of it too, is is the approach to God here is be careful that you're not clamoring in like you're Aladdin swooping in with a parade of, of things <laughs> to announce your presence. You're going into the presence of God to, to listen to him. It's not about you making as much noise as possible. So I think there's a little bit of that, but you're right. There's a lot uh, even in these first couple of, of phrases. And the sacrifice of fools here, I think what he's talking about, and you, as we ta- as we unpack the context here, it's if I give God something, then I can get what I want, and this is the natural bent we have. Uh, we do it with our parents when we're little, you know, like how can I manipulate my parents to get the treat or whatever. And so, if we approach God as, what do I have to say to get God to want me to do? Do I just need to repeat my prayer over and over again, or do I need to, you know, go 
to church more often? What, what is it I got to do to get what I want? And that's the sacrifice of fools, he says here, which goes along with the whole, the whole uh, structure of Ecclesiastes. There's two roads to life. And, and, and one road is the road of faith in God, and that's the one that works, which means God is God. I'm not God. So if God is God, then, man, I should want to know everything I can from him because he's got the ways to life. And the other one is I'm going to figure this out through my reason and my experience. And if we do that, then essentially we're God. But we just got somebody out there with a little more power than us. We just got to figure the strings to pull. You know, it's the genie in the bottle, God. You know, it's the, it's the cosmic vending machine, God. You know, what do I got to do to get God to give me what I want? Yeah, we've, you know, we've mentioned a couple of times our infertility, and we've had moments during that journey where we've been encouraged to try to pull the right strings. Mm-hmm. You know, uh-huh. uh, there must be some unforgiveness. People, yeah. some of our friends sound a little bit like Job's it's friends. Job's <laughs> friends. It's natural, yeah. If you just do this, then God will give you what you want. Yeah, if, if it's not happening, then it's because yeah. you there's a transaction that you haven't quite figured out. So yeah. let's figure out that transaction, and it'll right. miraculously open the, the gates. And, and we've had to constantly kind of lean into the process of we just we trust God. Uh-huh. And I, I don't know what he's going to do, but yeah. I trust him. Yeah. yeah, and he says, for God's in heaven, you're on earth. That's just a reminder that, you know, we're finite. And this earth is the earth with the cycles where one generation passes, the other go. We're, we have a limited time. We have limited scope. We have limited reason. If we try to figure everything out, it's Hebel. It's just vapor. You're trying to grab a piece of fog and put it in your pocket. We, we can't understand all this, but God does. So when we approach God, what should we do? listen. And and there's a lot of other passages. There's a passage in Isaiah that says, hey, everybody, you hungry? You thirsty? All the food and water you want. Here's how you get it. Come listen to me. Mm -hmm. That's the ultimate food, the bread of life. I've got it. Revelation uh, 3. This is the passage to the Laodiceans. And God says, uh, uh, you guys think you're rich, but actually you're poor. You're miserable, wretched, poor, blind, and naked, he says. Here's what you should do. If you really want to be rich, I encourage you to buy all the gold you want. And here's how you do it. Listen to my voice. Let me come in and sit down and dine with you, and let's have intimate fellowship. That's all the gold in the world right there. And it, you buy it with your time and your focus. And this is... this it's. This is right here. It's 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 right here in the core to wisdom. Well, and we undermine that journey. We undermine our own best self-interest by being what this warns us against, hasty in word and impulsive in thought. I've heard you talk about Job before, where Job uh, kind of takes the posture a lot through the book of, if God could just really hear my case, yeah. if I could come to God with with some words and some thoughts mm-hmm. of my own, I have a matter of which I would like to discuss with him. He's missing my perspective. <laughs> and if he had my perspective, then he would do what I want him to do. And I think it's important that it's not saying here, don't come to God mm-hmm. with your thoughts or your words. It's just saying, don't be hasty or impulsive about it. And so, let them be few. And let them be few. So be mindful of, of and intentional about what am I really requesting? When I come to God and ask him to heal a relative of mine, there's nothing wrong with that. No. But why am I asking it of him? What do I 
put my hope in? What do I believe in? And what is my perspective and attitude that I'm bringing to it? I've found that one of the very best prayers you can pray is, God, what do you want me to do next? And hmm. that feeds straight into the last part of this, which is, for the dream comes through much effort. So maybe God has put something on your heart. Maybe you have a dream and you're asking God for wisdom about how to pursue that dream. And it ends with, don't sit there and wait for God to do something. You do something. Now, uh, there's this pattern in the Bible where God brings circumstantial direction to people. And from what I can tell, the pattern is always they're already in motion when they get the direction. Hmm. Paul got called to Macedonia when he was on his way to Asia. And God, when you ask the question, why didn't God save him the trouble and tell him that in advance? I think it's this principle. You start. Start the action. Because this isn't a, this is, this is ultimately God put us on this earth for our benefit. And if we're just going to wait, of course, he can do everything. But that's not the point. It's, it's, I mean, if, if you always do everything for your children, they never learn anything. I, we have six kids, and Wally's the baby, and uh, they were all came within nine years. So, so Wally's the baby, and he's got all these siblings. And I can't remember how old he was. Maybe he's four years old, five. I, it could have been older. But I, I sat everybody down, and I said, stop tying Wally's shoes for him. <laughs> He's got to learn to tie his own shoes. And, and that's kind of it. You know, we, it's, you, 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 we need, it's for our learning. So listen. Approach God. Listen. Ask questions is a, is a great way to approach God. We're trying to learn. We're trying to listen. And the Spirit's always leading. The Spirit's always talking. Nature's always speaking if, if we have the ears to hear. But at the end of the day, it's up to us to make a choice. We, we want the right perspective, but we, gotta, we need to make a choice and we need to take a step. The alternative is just talk. And that's foolish. Yeah, the, we're using dream here in the kind of as a synonym for what we talk about in our servant leadership tools as like vision uh, there. Um, and so I think it's really... There's really a lot in here about go listen to God, figure out what your your vision should be, but then you are a participant in that vision. It doesn't come uh, through just talking about it. It requires effort. Um, and so I think we kind of mess it up on both ends. We'll either <laughs> jump into a vision without listening to God or we'll mm -hmm. throw all of our effort at a, uh, a, you know, a vision that... So we'll throw all of our effort at a vision that isn't, based on God and listening to him, um, or we just like won't do anything. We won't, we won't listen or, or, or we'll have a vision that we want and just talk about it all the time uh, and even bring it to God in the kind of perspective we're talking about with Job. It's not fair that that person got all that benefit. Well, that person put in 10,000 hours for that benefit maybe. Uh, James has a deal that says, do not say, hey, we're going to go make this plan and go to the city and make this investment and make so much profit. Say, if the Lord wills. It doesn't say, uh, wait for the Lord to do it for it. It just says, if the Lord wills, we'll go do that. So you start acting. 
but you hold it with an open hand and wait for God's direction. Mm-hmm. And all, all it's a tension again. And, and you hold that tension together with faith, if the Lord wills. You plan, you act, but it's the process. You know, have faith in the process. Don't demand certain results. Yeah, and again, it's just the, the like mindset of the world is we want to avoid effort as much as possible. We want to get things as easy, easily and as quickly as possible. And what so much of Scripture says, and certainly here in Ecclesiastes, is like, no, the effort is part of the joy. It's part of the experience of it. It's part of the process. And if we try to short-circuit that or sidestep it, then we're, um, we're, we may avoid a little bit of effort, but we're also losing a little bit of, of the joy of what life is really about, what God calls us into. Now, uh, this next uh, section kind of goes into the bribe mentality further. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin, and do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness. Rather, fear God. So in the Jewish practice, there was this, uh, uh, there was this practice of um, taking vows. We actually see this with Paul a couple of times. He would take a vow. One, at, least, at least one case, he shaved his head as, as part of that vow. <clears throat> it doesn't tell us what the vow was, but the vow is, I'm going to pay this for some reason, P- perhaps... I'm going to, and I'm, I've got some request of some kind, perhaps. Um, and and, and the, the uh, scenario we have here is there's a vow made, and then there's a rationalization of why I shouldn't have to pay. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, and this is pretty common, right? This is pretty common, like, uh, uh, God, if you'll, if you'll do this for me, I'll serve you forever. I, I, I remember uh, some... some uh, Guys talking about uh, some soldiers or uh, uh, sailors on a ship or something, and they're all praying and making vows. And the minute everything was okay, the Bibles went overboard, sort of thing. You know, it's a, <laughs> so there there is this tendency to turn to God in time of need and then just kind of forget about it. And this is saying, you know what? That's a really bad idea. But it's a principle that would apply pretty much across the board to people as well. Yeah, uh, last year, Kylie and I went through the Dave Ramsey course, and there, there, f- finances, how finances, to mm-hmm. how to how to steward your finances well, set it up, uh, and you know the big thing that they talk about is just how much of a debtor mindset we have economically in the world. Well, we just will okay, I I'll, I want that thing, so I'll take it, and I'll pay a little bit later. I can't pay right now, so I'll pay later, and then we get to later and we, you know, we don't want to pay. And so we borrow some money and there's interest. And there's so many industries out there that are basically betting on the fact Mm -hmm. that you're not going to pay for a significant amount of time and you're going to end up, the interest is accumulating. And so people get caught in these black holes uh, financially where they are just giving money to interest just to keep their heads above water because of this very idea and it's interesting because we just talked about the whole transactional thing. And so we're mm-hmm. transactional with God where we feel like, okay, I've said my prayers, now you owe me. But we we are 
hesitant to you know give him anything mm -hmm. that we promise we will give him and uh so i yeah it's i i think this is that's what this is talking about here we've got to be careful about the way that that we make our vows the way that we fulfill them and this again fits into the whole structure of ecclesiastes there's the me way of living where uh, <clears throat> i'm trying to bend everything to my appetites my comfort and that's my ultimate good which is the way of fools and madness and folly ultimately because i don't know what's in my best interest. i think i do but i actually don't and in that way of living which is turns out to be hebel uh, it's it's going to be folly in that way of living i don't i want what god can do for me but i don't actually care ultimately what god thinks and that's why this ends with rather fear god fearing god is i really care about what god thinks for many reasons but that's my that's my utmost concern what does god think and what we tend to do is <clears throat> treat God kind of like a permissive parent. God is obligated to like everything I do. <laughs> right. That's his job. And <clears throat> that's not, God's not a bad parent. It's interesting that the, where it says pay what you vow, that word pay in Hebrew is the Hebrew word shalom, which means peace. Hmm. When I was a kid, I was just playing with this like backhoe and my parents side garden of the house and I broke it. And I remember I was just for like two years of my life, I was like, I just, I hope they never find out. It was like <laughs> the biggest concern of my life. I, I threw it away in the dumpster or something. I mean, I was like eight, so I was really young, but I just, I hoped they never found out. And really, I, we, we think so much about these kinds of things as how much can I get away with? Is the mindset that we approach. So you 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 could have just gone and paid for that and brought peace. I could have just said, "Mom, I broke this. I was playing. I'm sorry." And two years of my life, you had my like own angst, piece. my uh -huh. own, uh, you know, negative internal consequences would have been avoided, and I could have lived at peace not only with my parents but just even in my own spirit. Because that's what shalom means, peace. Right. Yeah. So bring peace by paying. Right, and that's that. When you when you do what you say you're going to do, it brings peace. When you when you don't, it brings strife. So I think we I think we often read these kinds of things and think, oh, I I have to pay. I'm obligated to pay. But it's your peace is at stake as well. This mm -hmm. is in your own best interest. This isn't just because it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do because, like on multiple planes, it's the right thing to do uh, to honor God. It's also the right thing to do to honor this character you're trying to steward uh, and to keep peace and alignment with your own self, your own story in the kingdom of God. Now this phrase, <clears throat> why would God destroy the work of your hands? That if you don't pay your vow, <clears throat> if you don't do what you, you say you're going to do, you know, the ultimate manifestation of that we see in first um, Corinthians three, where at the end of our life, everything we do, will be evaluated. And, the, the, and this, this uh, passage in 1 Corinthians 3 is writ, very clearly written to believers. Uh, but not, not to see, you know, if you get conked over the head or not, but to see the extent of rewards that you get. Uh, there's a new heaven and a new earth, and in that new heaven and new earth, there's going to be responsibilities given. And to those who are willing to serve, 
and do and be faithful, great responsibilities given. Uh, now, uh, some people would say, "Well, I don't want any responsibility." You know that. What well, then? Then you, you know, people that shirk responsibility probably won't get any responsibility, but they're not going to be happy about it because. <clears throat> The, the uh, desire to shirk responsibilities, actually this me-focused orientation, and it's not fulfilling at all. And when you have all that uh, me orientation stripped away, as we all will, and you see things clearly, what you're going to see is the greatest fulfillment for me is in serving, and you know, it's not going to be there. And the picture that is, is used in 1 Corinthians 3 for deeds done on this Hebel road, this me road, is that it's wood, hay, and stubble. And the picture is everything's put in the fire. <clears throat> Our God is a consuming fire. God is, God is light. You know, the sun is light, and God is righteousness and judgment. You know, both of those things are illustrated by fire. And the illustration is things are put into the fire, and what remains, you know, if it's gold, silver, precious stones, it's refined and becomes even purer and more valuable. And if it's wood, hay, and stubble, it just burns away. And so if if we are going to pursue this, what can God do for me? I've got to be in control. I know best. Road. Well, then, okay. You don't need God. You're not pleasing God. You're not going to get God's reward. You're going to get your own reward. That's what you wanted. You, you want it that way? It's yours. But ultimately, it's going to burn up. And we've said this before, throughout Ecclesiastes, he's talking about life is mysterious, it's, a, it's heaven. You have two choices on how to respond to that. And throughout uh, these middle chapters, there's, a, there's all these vignettes where he says, here's one option, and then here's the other. And so these three words at the end is this powerful, fear God, rather fear God. That means instead of the option I've laid out before, fear God is the other option, trust in him. And Solomon is working his way towards a really powerful conclusion of this entire book, but he gives us some little hints of it. We've seen some already, and here's another one. I like to say, well, this is the way I think, and, and I think it's a valid perspective. The last day of my life on earth is not the day I die. It's the day I stand before the judgment seat and have all my deeds uh, evaluated. That's the actual last day. And that's the one that I want to care, that I care most about, which is fearing God. I care what God thinks, and I care what he's going to say about what I've done in my life. And that focus, I find, helps me stay away from this road where I'm at the center, which is my bent, and, and helps me uh, orient towards, well, what is the road that God tells me to do? Because I actually know that's in my best interest, even though it often doesn't feel that way. <laughs> mm -hmm. Moving on to verse 8. If you see oppression of the poor and denial of justice and righteousness in the province, do not be shocked at the sight. For one official watches over another official, and there are higher officials over them. Now, this is an interesting one. I did a lot of stuff in politics, and this is talking about bureaucracy. So we, we tend to... Um, we tend to make fun of red tape, both in corporations as well as government. It's 3,500 years old, at least. <laughs> it's been around a, a really long time. And what he's saying here is if you see injustice, 
Part of the reason is because of bureaucracy. There's these layers of oversight. And what happens when you have uh, layers of oversight is the, the point of the organization gets lost mm -hmm. and it gets subsumed in territory and um, perpetuation of personal uh, interests. So it becomes a, about the jobs of the bureaucrats over the whole purpose that the organization was put in place. And I think this is a cautionary tale for any organization. Any organization can lose focus. And we shouldn't be surprised when that happens because this is gravity. This is, this is where everything feeds to. So you know, we, we talk a lot in the servant leadership tools, which you can find at thecrossroad.net, about building a servant leadership culture, building a self-governing culture, which is a non-bureaucratic culture. And, and what this verse tells us that should be readily observable is it takes ongoing, constant effort to maintain a self-governing organization because we tend to go back to the me circle and how can I help my situation. And I help my situation by serving the person above me and avoiding mistakes, and that's not that's not getting the goal, which is righteousness and justice in government. Yeah, if you have any kind of group of human beings together, even if it's they're all kind of have equal footing, you you've got the gravity of all those potential me's pulling against one another. And then if you throw in this kind of hierarchical system, which is necessary in a lot of ways in many organizations, there is just this. It it, it adds a another layer of force to those gravitational pulls because there's comparison, there's uh, envy. I want that guy's job and, and there's blame shifting when things like there's so much that can happen. And so when you have bureaucracy, there's a lot. And like you were saying, Tim, if you have a, if you have just five people in your organization it, and they've like any major decisions about the vision of the organization has to go through those five people, it just takes one of them to really start to put a significant obstacle clog in achieving the vision. And so when that happens, a lot of times we hire experts or we bring in other people <laughs> to try to unclog the bureaucracy, which drifts us even further from our focus on the mission, which, mission. Is, which is what you were just saying. And so uh, it's difficult. And this is what, and it's all, so Solomon's saying, like, don't be surprised when this happens. When you get a big cluster of individuals who have the gravitational pull of a me, Mm -hmm. Don't be shocked when they start stepping over one another, when they start uh, hurting one another. And I think part of what he's saying here is we're imperfect people. Mm -hmm. The problem with any organization is just that there's people in it. And so there, don't be surprised that, that nobody's perfect. Don't be surprised that you're perfect. Don't be that you're not perfect. Don't be surprised that your organizations tend towards imperfection. That doesn't mean you shouldn't try to be better. But just as Kylie was saying in one of the previous episodes where we were talking about with chapter four, I, I believe, don't trust in the bureaucracies of this world. Don't yeah. trust in these systems. The gravitational pull is taking them away from uh, the path of righteousness, and it's going to take a lot of effort and intention from all members, you first and foremost, to, uh, to fight against that pull and to move towards a mission focus. Yeah, and we just got through hearing fear God. So if, if you care what God thinks, if you start caring what human organizations think, you're going to be disappointed. 
they're always pulling away from these two things, justice and righteousness. Now, those those are words that have a lot of impact, but we seldom stop to think, well, what is that really? And really, they're, they're both kind of part of the same thing. It, um, the, in, in the Greek, uh, the word that we translate both justice or righteousness, it, it's translated both ways, is dikasune. And uh, I, I like to illustrate what that word means by t- uh, talking about Plato's Republic, uh, the book Plato's Republic. The fundamental question that he asks in that book is, what is dikasune? That's what the whole book's about. And it's usually translated, what is justice? But uh, when, when you see righteousness in Romans, it's dikasune. So it's, it's the same thing. And what he concludes is, is that uh, justice or righteousness is when everybody in the Greek city-state does what they do best for the benefit of, of, the, whole, of the whole. And, what, and Romans is the same question. What is righteousness and how do you get it? And he's, of course, debating whether circumcision is necessary and, and, and it's more of a theological deal. But he comes up with a very similar conclusion. It's the body, where every part of the body does what it does best. The, two di- the difference between the two is who the head is. Mm, right. And Paul's head is Christ. But it's when everything works together to serve the mission or to serve the authority, to serve the head. And when, when, when we have in the body of Christ everybody wanting to be the head, then you don't have justice or or righteousness. And this applies to church. Don't be surprised if you go to church and the organization isn't doing what it's supposed to do. Why? Me gets in the way. And people get off the mission, which is to fear God, to serve Christ, and to by serving one another and get on to the me mission. And then church doesn't do what it's supposed to do. Don't be surprised. This is the way humans operate. But you, you, my friend, that are reading Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, you can make a different choice. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening.